come this morning to the last words of Paul to the Ephesian elders found in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 32. I invite you to take your own scriptures or reach for one from uh, the pew rack nearby and follow along as I read this portion of God's Word and then keep the scriptures open. This is a moving passage and a significant moment in the life of the Apostle, and these brothers in the faith who had come to know Jesus through the ministry that Paul had had among them. Beginning at verse 32, Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by so toiling, one must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had spoken thus, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept and embraced Paul and kissed him, sorrowing most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. And they brought him to the ship. If the elders care for the flock, who cares for the elders? I think that's what this text is answering. Let me go back to last week and bring us up to speed. In verse 28, it said, Take heed, you elders, to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, or with the blood of his own son. So the elders are to feed and protect the flock In other words, when Paul leaves the church for the last time, he won't ever see these elders or these people, this flock, again, till he's in heaven with them. He says to the whole flock, in essence, I'm committing you, flock, into the care of the overseers. And this is no human arrangement. The Holy Spirit put these overseers there to feed you and protect you. And so I have made provision and God has made provision for your care. Now, if provision has been made for the care of the flock, what provision is made for the care of the shepherds? And that's what verse 32 is about. So let's read verse 32. And now I commend you, you elders, for I entrust you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the answer is that God cares for the shepherds. Through his word of grace. 
I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. I don't commit you to a bishop. I don't commit you to a denomination. I don't commit you to a pastoral relations committee. I don't commit you to a congregation. I commit you. I hand you over. I entrust you into the care of God and his word of grace. God will be your shepherd. His word will be your green pastures and your still waters. Now, of course, um, the question that comes to mind is, is not God the shepherd of all the flock? And can they not graze in his word of grace? So what's the difference? Well, it's true that the word of God is not the prerogative of the elders, especially in a literate culture where there are Thousands of Bibles. We probably have 30 in our house. But there's a difference. Or this text would make no sense. would be meaningless if there were no difference between what God is committing the elders to and the flock to. Here's the way I would describe the difference. To the flock... God gives the added resource of shepherds to teach them the whole counsel of God. And to the shepherds, he gives the added responsibility to know that counsel and teach it. So when Paul commits the elders to the word of God's grace, he doesn't give them to some private, privileged access to the word. That's not the point. Rather, he gives them over to a special responsibility with the word. The sheep must have the word of grace in order to live by it. And so God gives them shepherds to feed the sheep. And shepherds must have the word of God's grace to live by it. And so God assigns them the special responsibility to get their food directly from the word for the sake of themselves and the sheep. The flock has the added benefit of the shepherds for feeding. The shepherds have the added responsibility and privilege of preparing the food firsthand from the word of grace. I think what we have in verses 32 to 35 is an illustration of how elders are to sustain themselves and their ministry by the word of grace. And so the question I want to ask, and, and I see three answers to it, is one, the question is, how should an elder be sustained and empowered for the caring of the flock by the word of grace? Now, the first answer is one I'll spend almost the whole hour on, half hour. And uh, the last two Answers are very short because they are are aspects of the first answer. So as you see the time going by, don't say, oh, my, yes, two more to go. (laughs) Number one, the word of grace brings us to the inheritance of everlasting joy. And that's the way it helps elders be empowered and sustained. The word of grace brings us. 
to an inheritance of everlasting joy. Let's read verse 32 now, and you'll see this if you just keep your eye peeled for what the Word gives. Now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and, here it comes now, is able to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the word of God's grace is able to give us an inheritance. Now let's talk for a minute about what that inheritance is first. Um, Paul, who's talking here, refers to this inheritance numerous other places. A couple of times in 1 Corinthians 6, one time in Galatians 5, he says that those who go on in unbelief and sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I would define the inheritance as the kingdom of God. Or another illustration would be where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit what? Eternal life. That's what I would call the inheritance, eternal life. And Jesus goes on to say it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Eternal life, kingdom of God, same thing. Another example would be Jesus in the Beatitudes saying, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The new heavens and the new earth will belong to the meek. So what is the inheritance? It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's the salvation. It's eternal life. It's the kingdom of God. That's what the word of grace brings the elders to. Now, the question is how? How does the word do this? Now, notice something very carefully here. These men are, are Christians. They wouldn't be elders if they weren't Christians. They've already been saved by belief in the gospel. And yet, Paul takes them, as it were, and hands them over and trusts them to the word of grace and says, this word will bring you to that inheritance someday. So you stay right there in this word, in the care of this shepherd word, and it'll bring you to the inheritance. He's saying that to Christians who are already saved, have tasted the power of the age to come. Now, how does this work? How does the Word bring them to the inheritance? Give them, it says. Give them the inheritance. I I see the answer at the end of verse 32. It says, The Word is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Who gets the inheritance? The sanctified get the inheritance. That's all. People who are sanctified get the inheritance. Only those who are sanctified. Well, what does that mean? We'll see very practically what sanctified means as we move on through the text, but let me put it in a a nutshell. I think being sanctified means that you have your heart changed so that you love a holy God and 
His revealed holy will for your life in the Bible. That's what being sanctified means. That you love the holiness of God and that you love His will with a true heart and pursue it. That's what sanctification means. And you remember Hebrews 12.14 says something very like this text. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And you could paraphrase that very easily. Get sanctified so that you can inherit the kingdom. That's exactly what it means. Now, let me show you where we are. See if you can catch on to what I'm doing. Let's picture the inheritance right here and two things leading toward it. One is the word of grace will give you the inheritance. The other is those who are sanctified will get the inheritance. Now, if I were to show you that, draw it on a board with two arrows, the word over here and sanctification over here, and then ask you, how does the word lead to the inheritance? What would you all answer? All my students would say, by sanctifying us. You draw an arrow like this. That's the way the word gets us to the inheritance. The word does the sanctifying. Let me use an illustration. Suppose I, you're an athlete and I say, I commit you to Coach Anderson who is able to secure you a victory in the playoffs among all those who are well-trained and conditioned. Now, wouldn't you conclude from that sentence that the reason I'm so confident that Coach Anderson is going to get you a victory in the playoffs is because he's going to see to it that you are well-trained and conditioned, so you'll be among those who are well-trained and conditioned. Let me put that in verse 32 now. I commit you to the word of grace, that's the coach, which is able to give you the inheritance, that's the victory in the playoffs, among all those who are sanctified. And wouldn't you conclude from that then that what the coach does to get you to the playoffs and in the victory circle is sanctify you, get you in shape. Now, if you need another text to verify this, many of you are thinking of it already, I'm sure. In the prayer of Jesus in John 17, Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So if you needed a clear clarion text to teach that the word sanctifies, it would be John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them. Make them holy. Make them love you and your will through the truth. What truth? Thy word is truth. And that's what sanctifies the word of your grace. So the way the word enables the elders to do their ministry is by bringing them through the sanctifying effect to the inheritance. Now, we've left out an important phrase, haven't we, from verse 32. I haven't mentioned it yet. Namely, the phrase, build up. Let's read it and take note and see how it fits. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up 
and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Now, let's go back to the coaching illustration for a minute. Suppose you're a team of athletes now, and I say, to the, I say this. I commend you to Coach Anderson, who's able to build you up and give you a victory in the playoffs among all those who are well-trained. condition. What, what connection would you hear between being built and being trained and conditioned? Wouldn't you say, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So I'll go back now and put it into verse 32. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and in this way give you the inheritance among all those who are built up, that is, sanctified. There's no difference between being built by the word and being made holy or sanctified by the word. So when Paul leaves Miletus and he takes these elders, these beloved elders whom he'll never see again on this earth, and he entrusts them over to the word of grace, he's trusting them to a builder. I just had the greatest time in my own devotional yesterday thinking about the word as a builder. You know, it, it just uh, it annoys me a little bit that in our translations and in our ordinary talking about this word, we always put the word up after build. It's not there in the Greek. It's just build. Build on the foundation. The same word like in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3. I laid a foundation. Jesus Christ, another, is building upon it. The emotional effect of that little word up is to make it a sort of uh, emotional, sort of overly spiritual word. I like to just think about the word as a builder, a carpenter, a mason, an architect, and it's building life. Because I need a builder on my life. My life tends to be always falling apart. The bricks tend to get pulled out, and I start to get wobbly in my life. I need a builder. I don't just need a pat on the head. Oh, be built up now. I need a builder. I need power. Somebody who can catch the walls as they're starting to, to tumble down and put some good, strong cement in there and some good buttresses and some rods that go up the middle and just build a building here that nothing can knock down. That's what I want from the Word. And so I just thought of all the ways that the word builds. It builds usefulness out of a, a life of uh, meaningless and, and uh, pointlessness you might feel about your life. It builds design where there's confusion. It builds security where there's fear and anxiety. The word builds strength where there's weakness. It builds permanence and stickability where there's been vulnerability and and. Uh, the thought that you might just give out. It builds beauty out of ugliness. We're going to see that in Paul's life before we're done, I hope. So the word of God's grace is a master builder. So let's just step back from verse 32 now and sum it up. The question I posed was, how does the word of grace bring the elders or strengthen the elders, help the elders do their ministry of caring for the flock. And my first answer was, it brings them to an experience of everlasting joy in the inheritance of God. And the way it does it 
is expressed one way at the front of the verse and one way at the end of the verse. It's called sanctification at the end and it's called building at the beginning. And they mean basically the same thing in actual practice in my heart. When the Word of God goes about building into my life, what it is building into my life is holiness. And that's sanctification. And so the way the Word ministers to the elders is by securing their inheritance through working sanctification. Now, I see two more answers in the text. They are short. They could each be a sermon, but they won't be. And I want to lift these out and unfold them for you very briefly and do it in the way Paul did it, like this. I think what we have in verses 33, 34, and 35 is the taking of a specific word of grace and then Paul using his own life to illustrate how that word of grace will help him and the other elders do what needs to be done for the sake of the sheep. Now, the word I have in mind when I say a specific aspect of the word of grace is the last part of verse 35, where it says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. You think that's part of the word of grace? I'll tell you why I think it is. It's just unimaginable to me that Paul would say something like this. All right, elders, I'm about to leave. And now I entrust you over for your life and your ministry to the word of God's grace. But now lay that aside and I want to talk about some other kind of word as we close. I just don't think he would do that. I mean, why entrust them to the word of God's grace as that which is able to bring them to the inheritance through sanctification and upbuilding and then scrap it and turn to another word? He didn't. It is the word of grace. There are many more parts to the word of grace, but what you have in the words of the Lord Jesus at the end are words of grace. How else can you explain but by the grace of God that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Isn't the connection between it is more blessed to give than to receive and verse 32 just this? The inheritance that we are about to come into is so immeasurably glorious that anything you give up in the service of love will be made up to you ten thousand fold. Therefore, of course it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's a link up between the inheritance and the promise of verse 35. It is a word of grace. He's still talking about the word of grace. So now what we can do is say, all right, if the word of grace is meant to build and sanctify and thus preserve for the inheritance, how does this one work? How does it is more blessed to give than to receive do just that? And that's what verses 33 and 34 are all about. So my second answer to the question, how the word of grace ministers to the elders for their power and their stickability, is this. It frees them from the love of money. And things. 
Verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Now, do you see the connection between that and the inheritance? And it is more blessed to give than to receive? If you believe this morning, elders and non-elders, if you believe that the inheritance that we are coming into as Christians is 10,000 times more glorious, more satisfying than anything silver or gold could buy you on this earth, you know what happens? The root of covetousness is severed in your life. And the branch of greed, the grasping branch that turns to this soaring stock market page and says, Whoa, will it be up? Will it be up? It's just gone. It's gone. You don't tremble as you turn the market page anymore, either with anticipation or fear. You have what we're going to hear tonight in the life of Charles Simeon was called a noble indifference to money. That's what happens if you believe that the inheritance is glorious and therefore it is more blessed to give than to get, 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 get. That's the second answer to the question. The elders are fit for their work by being freed from the love of money. When Paul looked out over this elder, these elders and the church at Ephesus, he said, I don't care about your silver and your gold and your clothes and whether they're better than mine. I don't care. The second and last or the third and last answer to the question of how the word of grace builds and sanctifies and brings to the inheritance is this. It produces a passion to meet the needs of others for the glory of God's grace. It produces a passion to meet the needs of others. And I get that by just looking at the life of this great man in verses 34 and 35. Instead of coveting silver and gold and clothes, he poured his life out for other people and said, You yourselves know, this is verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by so toiling, one must help the weak. Now, you could get the point from this text if you wanted to, and it would be a true one, that you ought to work to pay your own bills. Because he did say, these hands ministered to my necessities. It's okay to meet your necessities by working hard. Paul did. That's not the point of the text, however. It's true. The point of the text is, I didn't care about getting rich at Ephesus. I didn't care about whether we took offerings from me or not. In fact... I wanted to so avoid the impression of showing anybody that I gave a rip about your gold or silver or clothes that I supported myself and I supported everybody who was with me by working from about 11 in the morning till 6 at night on my tents and taught early in the morning and late at night for three years with tears. 
In other words, if you believe that the inheritance is going to recompense everything you give up in the path of love 10,000-fold, therefore it is more blessed to give than to receive. Therefore, you will have a passion to give. So let's go back now and survey this man's life in the last two minutes of our message. In the first message, we saw that he served the Lord with lowliness and tears. In the second message, we saw that he didn't care about his own life. If only he could uh, finish his race because faithfulness is better than life. In the third message, we saw that he didn't shrink back from declaring anything about the whole counsel of God, but told him everything that was useful for them. And in the fourth message, we saw that for three years, day and night, with tears, he admonished that whole flock. And today, we've seen more of the same. And so my conclusion is that the word of grace has built a beautiful man out of a murderer. And he can do that for every elder in this church, and he can do it for you. God, by the word of his grace, is in the business of building lives out of rubble. And Paul's story to us in in these verses has been just a magnificent illustration of what God can make of a Pharisee who was breathing out threats and murders against the church of God, and therefore, to the end of his days, considered himself the chief of sinners. Let's pray. Merciful Father, I thank you that your word is a word of grace, And that, therefore, in your building, you are willing to use lousy raw materials. I pray that we would never be disconsolate that that's all we have to offer you. Because therein can the majesty, the godlike majesty of grace be seen. So right now, I pray that every person in this room would be commending their lousy raw materials over to you with great hope in grace that you would take us where we are and build. Go to work on us by the word of grace, I pray. If there are any unbelievers in the room, might they surrender their unbelief and Put their heart in the hands of Jesus and let him go to work on their lives with a decisive commitment of faith and trust in him. And then, Lord, there are a thousand needs in this room that we can't even begin to articulate. By the word of your grace, would you meet those needs, I pray. And as you meet them, make us a need-meeting people, utterly free 
from the love of money and things.